right, folks, welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove. Man, it's hard to believe it's already September. I mean, at least the the hot of summer has broken. I don't know. It's kind of crazy up here in Estes. Like, as soon as the Highland uh, Festival hits, like, I remember going last year, and I walked down, walked back, and just... You know, on that day, it always seems like the, the, the clouds settle down, the hot breaks, and, um, you know, the mist kind of kind of settles down on the Estes Valley. So we, we had that happen again, and man, that cool has, has been going through the week. Well, I've got um, a big interview today. It's one of the, the national interviews I do. Um, this time it's with Donald Sherman. And I've mentioned in the last couple uh, podcasts, and there was a our last podcast and I put up an article about the uh the actions that a watchdog group out of Washington is doing starting here in Colorado crew otherwise known as citizens for responsible ethics in Washington and um you know I meet a lot of these people because of the speaking engagements I do across the country and just some of the work that I'm doing um in the realms that I am I I get to meet a lot of these people and I get to know them as human beings and and Donald Sherman is one of those people. Um, so Donald Sherman serves as Crew's executive vice president and chief counsel. Um, he served in various oversight ethics and policy roles in the executive branch and Congress, including the White House, the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, the House Ethics Committee, the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. He earned a bachelor's degree cum laude at Georgetown University, where I do some of my consulting work with uh, the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection over there. And um, a JD from Georgetown University Law Center. So um, when I saw that this was happening, I, I, I've been following the crew stuff and, and um, uh, you know, the work they're doing because they really do do some good work. And um, when I saw that they were starting this initiative to keep um, – former President Donald Trump off the ballot here in Colorado. I reached out immediately to Donald to see uh, see if I could talk with him on the podcast about what's going on. And today is that is that interview. So, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of jump into that um, and uh, let you hear what they're doing here in Colorado straight from the chief counsel that's uh, bringing this. I'm going to be uh, – I talked with him a little bit after – the interview. I'm going to try my best to get down to Denver when this is happening, and it could be happening according to Donald, maybe within within a week or so, um, and cover what's happening there. Um, you know, feet on the ground as a journalist, uh, seeing what's happening with this this historic lawsuit, um, and uh, so yeah, we're we're going to just jump into that. I just want to remind people uh, because this is how I support my two teenage daughters who like to you know have new clothes and be fed regularly and, and, you know, have fancy shampoos and conditioners and stuff. I mean, just the basics. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm a writer. I write books. I do stuff. But um, in order for that to continue working, uh, people need to buy my books and, and check them out. And, you know, if you like it, write a review. If you don't like it, do that too. Um, you know, uh, tell your friends. Um, book sales is how I, uh, you know, support my family, how... Uh, we'll have holidays. Um, another quick 
item of book news. I'm, I'm getting ready to re-release my first ever novel, uh, Colorado's Chance, The uh, Firewalker, which is set during the, the pandemic lockdowns and the wildfires that happened a few years back. But it's uh, supernatural horror. Um, and as with all of my stuff, it kind of starts off with a, a seed of social truth. Um, this in this particular instance, dealing with the treatment of J-1 visa workers here in Estes and how some some of the big employers in town just kind of treat them as disposable human beings. Um, and uh, they also happen to be very litigious. So uh, one way I can skirt that is fictionalize things and, you know, put in fire gins and and magic and, and ghosts. And, you know, it's a great story. Everyone who reads it, read it, has read it loves it. Um, if you're one of the millions of people who come to visit Estes Park uh, every year or have come to visit as part of your childhood memories, it's all set in Estes and Aspen and across the Colorado Front Range, but mostly in Estes. And um, it's a great story. So you can get that on Amazon, but I, I would probably wait because I'm about to release a new edition. I, we're just getting done with some of the final. It's with an actual editor now. Um, working on the final edit, she's got like 40 pages ago. Uh, just designed a new book cover for it. Um, so it'll be the now with actual editing edition that I'm hoping to release uh, here in the next few weeks um, to help uh, spur on some sales for so I can have a holiday for the girls, especially with, uh, you know, our family loss and the loss of half of our income. So that would really help us out um, and you get a great story out of it. If you're local, I'll sign it for you as always. Um, but check it out. It'll be Colorado's Chance. Um, I've got a link up on it in the show notes. Um, with And you can see the new cover. Now, the book that's up right now on Amazon, it it's not the new edition. I just have the cover showing it in the link to it. But once you click on the page, you'll see the actual cover, which is one of my pictures from my coverage of the wildfires back when I was working for the uh, local town newspaper. Um, so, yeah. Just wanted to mention that my my hardcover, The Perils of Extremism, is uh, 50% off. So you can get it for $13 and some change right now. Um, real nice hardcover. Um, and it's a great story. Uh, you know, the Washingtonians written about it. Um, they go in depth. They liked it so much, the, the guy there. But just check it out um, and uh, help support a, a young local author who is uh, also a father trying to figure things out on his own. So that would definitely help. All right, let's get into the interview with Cruz Donald Sherman, chief counsel, and he's the executive vice president um, of things. So um, yeah, great conversation and uh, giving us insight into a major national news item that's here in Colorado. So here we go. All right, folks, we're here today with Donald Sherman, who has um, his organization, Citizens for Responsible Ethics in Washington, um, has really begun to take over the news cycle, at least in my news feeds over the past week. Um, Donald, someone I had met back when I was doing some stuff in Washington and uh, so we've we've kept in touch, and and so I thought it would be exciting to bring him on the show and just have him kind of explain what's happening, um, because you've really you've kind of caught Trump's attention. He's definitely uh, been been doing some ranting. So Donald, if you could just introduce yourself to um, my listeners and and tell us kind of who you are, 
the type of work you do and uh, what, what brought you to it in the first place? Thanks, Jason, for uh, for having me on. My name is Donald Sherman. I'm the uh, Executive Vice President and Chief Counsel at Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, also known as CREW, better known as CREW. We've got a lot of words in there. Um, and we are a good government ethics and accountability organization, you know, focused on making sure that our government works ethically and efficiently and, you know, uh, and trying to reduce the influence of money and politics on our uh on our political system so crew is uh in its 20th year um i have been with crew for about five years um off and on and um and you know i came to this work um you know really by happenstance um you know my first uh my first job working in congress was um, on the House Ethics Committee, which uh, was as a nonpartisan staff, staffer on the bipartisan staff of the House Ethics Committee, investigating members of Congress and staff who were accused of violating the ethical rules there. Um, and, you know, then I moved around a fair amount, um, you know, doing oversight work on the House Oversight Committee and then in the Senate uh, Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Um, but really, um, you know, developing uh, skill and expertise in doing oversight and ethics investigations. Um, uh, but, you know, when Donald Trump became president, I was in the Senate, and it seemed quite clear that the Senate didn't really have the tools built um, to address the kind of ethical misconduct that we were seeing. And I was looking for uh, a place where, um, that might have those skills and tools and crew was uh was an organization that um i was familiar with from my time uh, doing ethics work and you know seemed to really be meeting the moment um and so that's how i came to crew and that's um you know why i continue to do this work well so tell us you made a lot of news in the past week um tell us what's going on in colorado because colorado seems um, it's it's suddenly uh, out there that you're move, bringing forward this this lawsuit really um, to keep uh, the the former president Trump off the ballot. So explain that it it delves into the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, but for people who don't know, what what are you doing here in Colorado? Sure. So uh, in the aftermath of the Civil War. Uh, that's that's where I have to start. Um, in the aftermath of the Civil War, uh, Congress uh, passed and the states ratified uh, the Fourth Amendment. Uh, included in it, not one of the more prominent provisions, a provision that says that any um, any person who, as a federal or state uh, officer, takes a note to defend the U.S. Constitution and engages in an insurrection against the United States Constitution um, or gives any comfort to insurrectionists uh, is disqualified from office. Um, you know, we believe, and we believe that there's a widespread consensus um, in the public that January 6th was an insurrection and that Donald Trump engaged in it, was the chief insider of it. Um, and so last week, uh, on behalf of six 
uh, Colorado voters, four Republicans and two unaffiliated, we filed a lawsuit against the former president uh, and Secretary Griswold in her official capacity, um, arguing that Donald Trump cannot be put on a ballot and the secretary cannot take action to put Donald Trump on a ballot for president because he's disqualified from serving as president uh, under this provision of the Constitution. So why did you choose Colorado? I mean, this is something that I'm assuming is going to expand out further to to possibly many more states. Um, why why start here in uh, in Colorado? Well, uh, you know, there's a few reasons. I think first first and foremost is, you know, because we have six brave plaintiffs that were willing to put their names forward. Um, you know, they include a woman named Norma Anderson who uh, I'm sure is very well known in Colorado. She's the Republican former House and Senate Majority Leader in the state legislature. Um, uh, in addition, uh, one of our clients is Claudine Schneider. Uh, now, uh, Serato, Post, right? Uh, no, she, uh, she was a Congresswoman. She okay. was a member of Congress from, uh, from Rhode Island. She moved to uh, Colorado 20 years ago after uh, after her stint in Congress ended. Um, and then Krista Kafer, who is a, a prominent conservative columnist. Yeah, that's the one I was saying. Writes for, writes for the Denver Post. Uh, and in fact, um, voted for Donald Trump, not just in 2016, but in 2020. Um, and reached the conclusion that uh, Donald Trump's incitement of an insurrection after his loss uh, was disqualifying um, and agrees that, uh, you know, under the section, uh, section three of the 14th Amendment, that it is uh, disqualifying, not just sort of in a common person's understanding of it, but disqualified by law. Um, so, you know, those are three of uh, our six plaintiffs, um, you know, and I think um, their willingness to step forward is uh, a prime reason why we are in Colorado, but also because unlike um, some other states, Colorado uh, affords voters the opportunity to challenge um, an individual's uh, placement on the ballot if they are disqualified for some reason. Not every state allows um, voters to challenge uh, ballot placement in that way. And so that's one of the reasons why we are in Colorado. We also thought it was important that litigation of this kind needed to be brought as early in the primary process as possible to ensure that um, this matter can be decided at the state level and then ultimately, uh, if necessary, by the Supreme Court um, early enough in the calendar so that uh, voters in Colorado, as well as in potentially other states, have clarity that they need to, um, to know whether uh, the former president is qualified to serve in the office that he uh, now seeks. Well, I know that the the Republicans here in Colorado are already trying to figure out ways to first and foremost fundraise off this, um, <laughs> but also um, try to circumvent it. Which I, you know, how so? <clears throat> Jenna Griswold, our, our Secretary of State, um, she uh, is also listed as one of the 
defendants in this case. Explain why that was. That's because she's a head in charge of the elections in the state of Colorado is what I'm assuming. But it, it, I know it caught a couple of people to see that she was actually listed alongside Donald Trump. Yeah, she's listed in her official capacity because she is um, uh, the chief election official of the state and ultimately the person that decides whether a candidate uh, gets access to the ballot. And so, you know, she sued in her official capacity because we want the court to advise her that she cannot um, put the former president on the ballot due to his disqualification under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, she has said in a statement uh, immediately after we filed our suit that, you know, she uh, believes that Colorado courts can and should, um, you know, uh, provide guidance on this yeah, question. I saw that. And so, you know, we look forward to making our case in court um, before a judge in Denver um, as to why uh, the former president is disqualified. Um, and, you know, we look forward to Secretary Griswold implementing that decision and keeping Trump off the ballot um, based on that disqualification when we bring our witnesses and evidence to court and prove it. So what does the timeline look like? What, what, what can people expect as far as um, how quickly this will ramp up when we can see, um, you know, see this, this unfold in the Colorado courts? I imagine it'll move relatively quickly. Uh, under Colorado law, a hearing needs to be scheduled within five days. Now we're gonna we're, we're gonna miss that mark in part because the former president uh, immediately sought to remove it to federal court. But upon filing um, our motion with the federal court, um, advising the court uh, on why the case needs to come back to state courts, uh, the Trump uh, camp. Uh, or the lawyers on behalf of the former president uh, did not oppose our motion. So, you know, it is our expectation that this case will be back in state court uh, relatively soon. And after that, we expect that it will move relatively quickly. Certainly, we are prepared to put on our evidence as soon as the court uh, asks us to do so. Um, and, you know, we'll see if the president, uh, the former president is willing and able to do the same. Why would he want it removed to federal court? Is that so he can have it dismissed later? Um, what 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 would be his strategy there? Do you think, or can you comment on that? You know, I that's a great question, but to be honest with you, it's hard to know. Certainly, removing the case to federal court has the impact of delaying the litigation, uh, which uh, could potentially inure to the former president's benefit, but. It's 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 really hard to to say, and more candidly, I, I guess even if I did have a clear sense of what their strategy was, it would probably not be smart for me to sort of go through my assessment of yeah. of, of that strategy uh, in 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 public. Uh, but to to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not 100 percent sure I, I I could could do that even if, um, yeah. Well, he certainly got a lot on his plate, legally speaking, right, these days. Um, so part of this whole thing is there There seems to be a good portion of at least a far-right base. It just doesn't seem to be in touch with reality that, you know, there's perceptions that this was a peaceful protest. And anyone who has actually, you know, I've testified before the January 6th committee. Um, I know other people who have. Anyone who's watched it really, I think, knows that, 
you know, you, you just have to open your eyes and see that, you know, people died that day, that this was a, a violent attempt to overthrow our, our democratic processes. But that doesn't seem to matter to a certain segment of the people at all, because they don't seem to to care to engage in reality. Um, what do you is, let, let's assume this goes forward and moves forward? What, what sort of do you, how do you think this will play out if you guys win? I think if we win, um, Donald Trump will be ineligible to be on the ballot in uh, in Colorado. And I would expect that we'd see uh, secretaries of state uh, in other parts of the country uh, coming out and saying that they won't put uh, the former president on the ballot um, and that he will be disqualified from office. Now, I fully expect that there will be lots of people that are upset um, if that decision is made. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, I think as you, as you suggested, uh, um, the folks that believe that, J that January 6th was a peaceful protest or no big deal can't be convinced anyway. Um, and nor do they need to be convinced, right? This is a qualification for office and courts decide questions like this all the time. Every year there's litigation related to whether one person or another is eligible to get on a ballot uh, for the elective office that they seek. It's a fairly routine process. But, you know, I think the other thing that, uh, I don't know if it gives me comfort, um, but you know, the other thing that um, I've made my peace with is that um, as we saw on January 6th, there's a segment of the population that will not accept anything less than Donald Trump being president of the United States, regardless of what happens. And so like that segment of the population seems to be fairly unmovable, regardless of, you know, sort of what happens. I mean, there are people who don't think that, uh, that, you know, don't think that the current president of the United States was duly elected or don't think that he is actually president at all. And so, you know, there's a certain uh, futility in trying to uh, to to reach those folks. Well, I certainly think that right now we're just at a crossroads. Um, that that what we do now as as a generation really will determine the future of democracy here in America for our children. Um, so I I think it's I, I think we need people like Crew out there fighting these fights for the preservation of of what we have now um as crazy and chaotic as it is just to have a chance at democracy for our kids to inherit as they grow older i think is very important now this is a, a statue that goes back to the civil war um and uh you know using such an old uh, uh legal mechanism um i know there have been questions about whether you know, it's relevancy to today, but you guys, you announced this on the one year anniversary. You actually have, have successfully um, tried one of these cases before, you know, brought forth the lawsuit successfully. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, it's important to note that the Constitution doesn't expire, right? Um, you know, and I think certainly you would get that opinion from any advocate of the Second Amendment that uh, regardless yeah. of how old uh, the provision of the Constitution is, that it, it doesn't expire. Um, you know, whether it, it, it's, it's 
been used recently, invoked recently or not. I think Section 3 of the 14th Amendment hasn't been invoked, uh, has been rarely invoked because, you know, we haven't had that many insurrections against the Constitution of the United States. So we haven't needed to use it. But last year, my organization represented three New Mexico residents uh, in a case uh, in state court there, uh, removing an official from office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. His name was Coy Griffin. He was an Otero County Commissioner, um, a state official under New Mexico law. And he was also the co-founder of Cowboys for Trump. And we brought a case in March of last year. And on September 6th, the same day that we filed our suit in Colorado, except in 2022, a court ruled that one, January 6th was an insurrection, uh, and two, that Mr. Griffin had engaged in it by uh, recruiting people before January 6th to come to DC ready for battle, including men ready for battle, um, and then egging on the crowd as they, uh, you know, as they crushed law enforcement officers in the tunnel um, and, and stormed the Capitol. And so, you know, that that case provides significant parallels uh, to the case against the former president. Mr. Griffin was not violent on January 6th. He simply encouraged people uh, that were and joined the mob outside the Capitol and made it easier for the insurrectionists who were inside the Capitol to storm the Capitol, overwhelm law enforcement, and made it harder to disperse the, the crowd. In addition, uh, Mr. Griffin was not convicted of a crime of insurrection. The court in the Griffin case found that you don't have to be convicted of, of a crime, certainly not convicted of the crime of insurrection to be disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It also found that you don't have to be violent in order to be disqualified for engaging in insurrection and that the standard for engagement is fairly broad. In addition, like the former president, Mr. Griffin did not actually enter the Capitol. So there are a lot of parallels between Mr. Griffin's conduct and conduct uh, and the conduct of the former president, though the evidence of former President Trump's engagement in insurrection is substantially greater and it is largely included in the public record already. But we went to New Mexico, we put on a series of witnesses uh, and, uh, and we won a trial verdict in New Mexico that, uh, that was ultimately uh, vindicated by the New Mexico Supreme Court. And we believe that it provides a clear precedent that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment can be used to hold insurrectionists accountable and that January 6th itself was an insurrection under, uh, under the Constitution. So we've seen a lot of uh, convictions happening, some, some heavy sentences from people who were there and involved with the January 6th insurrection, um, you know, the, the largest one coming down with Enriqueo. Um, do you think that those convictions of seditious conspiracy um, will help the case? I absolutely do. I think the convictions for seditious conspiracy track some of the elements 
of the insurrection statute. I think they make clear that the insurrection was aimed at uh, those convictions make clear that the insurrection was aimed at overturning a free and fair election and overturning a government process, which I think is important to demonstrate in our case. And they continue to build evidence, particularly when in September of 2020, the former president told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. And then in the aftermath of his tweet for his supporters to come uh, on January 6th to be ready for a wild protest, the Proud Boys had their, their standby uh, instructions provided to them. I think these cases pro add to the overwhelming public evidence that Donald Trump uh, was the insider in chief of the January 6th insurrection. Okay. Last questions. I know you're very busy, especially with everything that's going on. I appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me. Um, so if obviously Trump is fundraising on this, you know, the, the Colorado Republicans are, if people want to support what you're doing, you're a nonprofit, right? I mean, um, is, is there a way people can support what you guys are doing? We are a nonprofit. Our website is citizensforethics.org. I would be remiss if I didn't say we are not, uh, certainly not doing this, uh, you know, to to help our fundraising. We think it's important for for Americans of goodwill across the country, um, in Colorado and elsewhere, to stand up to defend the Constitution. Uh, we were fortunate that in the aftermath of the Civil War, Section 3 was ratified and that there was a series of precedents making clear that uh, that insurrectionists should be disqualified from holding positions uh, of trust in government. And it's important now in this moment that Americans of goodwill, like the six clients that we represent in Colorado, stand up and demonstrate that January 6th insurrection also was disqualifying and that the Constitution continues to live and will be enforced against the insurrectionists who attempted to overthrow a free and fair election on January 6th. What kind of coverage will there be in the courtroom? Are, are people, you know, journalists able to to be in the room and see it, or do they have to rely on updates? How is it we're going to be able to learn how this unfolds? I am confident that there will be plenty of journalists in the in the room when we have our first hearing, when we have an evidentiary hearing. I also imagine that one question that uh, may go before the judge is whether uh, whether the the judge will allow uh, television cameras in the room, um, but I, it's hard to imagine. Uh, but I think there, but I think there will be multiple ways that the public can stay apprised of what's happening. In addition, we are putting information up on our website about the case that we are bringing on behalf of our clients. Again, that's www.citizensforethics.org. Is there and, anything? Else? You know, and we're on Twitter or okay. X. Well, I know I'm off X just because of, of my ethical concerns with the direction it's going. Um, that and I get a lot of threats off it. Um, but so uh, 
I think that's it. That's all I've got. Is there anything you want to to touch on that we haven't had a chance to that you wanted to to tell people? Yeah. Um, so you know, one of the things that I think is important to remember is that this is in addition about sort of larger questions about who is going to stand up for the Constitution. This is a case about six individuals who are standing up for their right not to be disenfranchised. If an ineligible candidate like Donald Trump is put on the ballot, especially one um, you know, as popular as the former president is, it means that their voices are effectively squelched. Every American should have the right to vote for an eligible candidate. And it's important for this issue to be resolved sooner than later so that the American public knows which candidates are eligible or not. Again, this is a pretty routine process that plays out um, every election in every state in the union. The only thing unique about it, much like many things in this era, is Donald Trump and his lawlessness and his brazen decision to run for president, despite all of the obvious and overwhelming evidence that he is already constitutionally disqualified. But if he is put on ballots, it jeopardizes my my clients, our clients' ability to to uh, vote for the candidate of their choosing, and it jeopardizes the right of all Republican primary voters in Colorado to have an eligible candidate as their standard bearer. All right, Don. Well, I have I'm one sure. other thing I can add, if if, if yeah, that's okay. no, please. Um, and so, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, the the former president uh, would like to suggest that this is a, a partisan exercise. And again, that could not be further from the truth for any number of reasons, especially uh, looking at the slate of plaintiffs that we represent, whose many of whose Republican bona fides are unimpeachable. But also on our team are includes uh, the leading Republican election lawyer in the state, um, or one of the leading Republican election lawyers in the state, uh, one of the leading Democratic election lawyers in the state, as well as the former Solicitor General of the state of Colorado, Eric Olson. This litigation is, uh, and our litigation team is very serious about bringing the strongest case possible to vindicate the rights of our clients to ensure that a disqualified candidate like Donald Trump uh, is not forced upon them uh, in the primary election. All right. Well, I want to thank you for, for I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. I think your organization really is fighting the good fight in very meaningful ways. Um, you know, it's easy to lose hope in, in the modern day with everything that's going on. And I know that I've taken a certain measure of hope um, in my own journey from watching what you guys are doing. So I just thank you for doing it. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to me today. And uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Jason. I mean, you know, we wouldn't be here if, you know, like I said, people of goodwill weren't willing to step up and certainly you have um, and continue to do so. And I think we need more of that. I, I agree with you. I think, I think we need everyone involved in this um, that we can possibly motivate to, to stand up. All right. 
Okay, folks, that's going to be the podcast for today. I think uh, next week's podcast is probably going to be, I have one of the the good citizens of the Estes Valley who is standing up in their own way and running for the Estes uh, Park School District, one of the open board seats. So uh, I think we might sit down with one of the candidates and discuss the upcoming uh, election cycle and the campaign that's going to be run. So uh, we'll see if I can make that happen, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, folks, that's it for this week's podcast on the Colorado Switchblade. As always, I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove. Go buy my books. Stay classy, Colorado. <laughs>